0: Welcome to The Definitive Wrap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Wrap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Ellen Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are. The Definitive rap.
1: I'm Alan Skorsky with Bela Seabrow, and welcome to The Definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. While it looks like the presidential election results have been tallied and accepted, there is still another race for control of the U.S. Senate. On January 5th, there will be a runoff for two Senate races between Republicans' David Perdue against John Ossoff and Kelly Loeffler against Raphael Warnock. Last month, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer declared, now we take Georgia, then we change America. These comments alone should be enough to make the hair on the neck of every patriotic American stand up. Alas, this is 2020, and nothing should shock the senses anymore. But that isn't true either. While few people are paying attention to the far-left progressive ideology of John Ossoff, even fewer people are paying attention to the radical history of Raphael Warnock. In his recent column in The Federalist, titled, Leftist Jews Are Helping Whitewash Raphael Warnock's Long Anti-Israel Record, Jonathan Tobin, one of my favorite columnists, highlights many of Warnock's recent statements, including his bashing of of our military, the police, making insidious comparisons between Israel and South African apartheid. Warnock has accused the IDF of shooting Palestinians like birds of prey and other crimes against the Palestinians. Warnock has praised Jeremiah Wright and Louis Farrakhan. This alone should shock our senses. But even worse is that Warnock has received the support and endorsement from Jewish Democrats, including the Democratic majority for Israel. I have a number of questions for, our, for Jonathan Tobin today, following Bela's opening comments and questions for our distinguished and returning guest.
2: Jews have a long standing history with receiving blame, and that is uh, unsurprisingly typical and anticipated. Uh, Although it has occurred that Jews have supported and defended those who are anti-Israel, whenever it happens, it still boggles the mind each time. The concern at present is Raphael Warnock. For our listening audience, Raphael Warnock is a pastor of a Baptist church in Atlanta. He became popular in the state of Georgia and even beyond when he campaigned to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. Warnock, as uh, Alan just said, is the Democratic candidate for the Senate. Being a pastor, he uses his position to express his staunch opinions, not just against Israel, but also America. For example, uh, he says Americans cannot serve both God and the U.S. military. He makes derogatory statements about our men and women in blue. And he maligns Israel's protection of its borders with the Gaza Strip. He claims its violence against Palestinians. And he's uh, quite persuasive to his parishioners. In fact, he labels as his mentor the late James Hal Cohn. And for those to remember, Cohn called white Christians as racist and white Christianity as the Antichrist. But when you have leftist Jews help- helping Raphael Warnock by defending him and denying that he's anti-Israel, that's crazy. When you make consistent derogatory remarks about a group, strategy, or guiding principle, you are anti that group. We have with us today Jonathan Tobin, editor-in-chief of JNS, a senior contributor for The Federalist, and a columnist for the New York Post, Newsweek, and Haaretz. Welcome, Jonathan, and thank you for joining us again on The Definitive Wrap.
0: Well, thank you, Bayla. Thank you, Alan, for having me on.
2: Jonathan, in your recently published article that Alan referred to, Leftist Jews Helping Whitewash Raphael Warnock's Long Anti-Israel Record, you write about this very issue. Jonathan, we know that Warnock was a staunch defender of Reverend Jeremiah Wright, who engaged in anti-Semitism. Again, for our listening audience, Wright was Barack Obama's pastor before he became president. And at the time, that made people very uncomfortable. Do you think that Wright and Warnock share the same views? Also, um, if if I may include, it's interesting where you wrote in your article that Warnock believes Jesus to be a Palestinian rather than a Jew. Can you please educate our listening audience about Warnock's views, why they matter, and the fact that hundreds of Jews are rallying around Warnock and, of course, the potential danger in doing so?
0: Well, Bella, I think the question of what uh, Raphael Warnock believes is an interesting one, because what he was saying and sermonizing and uh, subscribing to a couple as recently as a couple of years ago is not exactly what he's saying sub- and, uh, saying right now as he's running for the Senate. Um, as as I wrote in an earlier piece for JNS, I mean, he has. Uh, very much uh, made the the journey from uh, radical clergyman to modern politician, uh, because he has disavowed a great many of the things that he said just a couple of years ago. Um, A couple of years ago, he was um, a very typical radical clergyman uh, in terms of his comparisons of Israel to South Africa, his attacks on Israeli self-defense against Hamas, and its uh, right of return uh, marches, uh, which was sought to breach the border with Gaza, that's where that uh, awful quote about where he accused um, IDF soldiers of uh, shooting uh, innocent uh, Palestinians like birds of prey, which was, you know, basically nuts, had nothing to do with the reality, sheer propaganda, um, and really a host of other things, including comparing Israel to South Africa. Um and you reference Reverend Jeremiah Wright. Now, if that's an interesting comparison um, because um, Warnock was a very ardent defender of Jeremiah Wright. When Wright came under fire as more of his views, you know, goddamn America and saying, you know, just condemning everything about the United States, forget about Israel, forget about even about Jesus being a Palestinian. Um, Warnock was strongly, um, strongly defended him, treated him as a mentor. But the thing about Jeremiah Wright, you know, there was, uh, for all of his radicalism and his really hateful rhetoric, um, which, whether it influenced President Obama or not, um, you know, there was a certain integrity to Jeremiah Wright. Because when Jeremiah Wright was called out for all of his hate, Um, as he became better known to the rest of the country one because of Obama, Wright didn't back down an inch. He doubled down on every hateful, rotten thing he said. You know, he said, here I am. This is what I am. You know, like me, tough. (laughs) Um, You know, President Obama danced around it. And then he sort of distanced himself and, you know, Obama's, uh, you know, very skillful politician. He sort of squirmed out of that, claimed he was not really paying attention for 20 years. I guess a lot of us who sit in, in shul and don't always pay attention to the sermons maybe could buy some of that. But you know, <laughs> even, of course, of 20 years, you know, you can nap a lot, but you pick up most of it, right? Right. But um, the thing about Jeremiah Wright is that he he, he wouldn't back off anything, he, you know, and and... As I said, there's a certain integrity to that. Raphael Warnock, by comparison, has very different goals. And you know, Jeremiah Wright never was running. You know, that, Obama was running for the Senate in Illinois. Not right. He he wanted to be a radical clergyman, and that was it. Raphael Warnock has, you know, has higher goals. And indeed, the whole point about the campaign, and the whole point about the effort to um, sort of uh, depict him. Uh, falsely as a cherished ally of the Jewish people and to, to you know, just basically build a fence around him to ignore everything he's done is that this is all about partisan politics. Um, Alan in the opening um, mentioned um, the Georgia Senate races and how crucial they are. The two Georgia Senate races, if the Democrats win both of them, they will have, uh, with Kamala Harris as vice president, they will have a majority in the Senate. That will give them the power to basically do just about anything they want to do, whether it means packing the Supreme Court with with leftist judges, adding states to the union so as to create, you know, two, four, six senators, you know, make District of Columbia a state, who knows, make Puerto Rico a state, you know, you name it, Virgin Islands, they will have the power to do it because they will abolish the filibuster for legislation. And, uh, you know, and that's not just that, but for other, you know, things like the green new deal, a whole raft of radical legislation will become possible. Not necessarily, you know, you know, we'll see what happens, but if they get those, win those two Senate seats, everything becomes, goes into play. Therefore, Georgia is sort of the center of the political universe for these next few weeks. Um, in the, it's interesting you break down the two the two uh, two two races. Uh, Ossoff is clearly, um, you know, a who is Jewish, very left wing, you know, uh, wealthy Jew uh, running to um, knock off Senator David Perdue. Perdue is kind of a weak candidate; um, he's vulnerable. He, everyone thought he would win a majority, and but he fell short in November, and now they're in a runoff, and that's kind that's you know that race is kind of a coin flip. Um, uh, in in a, in a seat like in a race like this, you would think Georgia would still stay red, uh, stay Republican, but Georgia has changed demographically, um, so you don't make that assumption anymore. The, the really interesting race, though, is Kelly Loeffler versus Raphael Warnock. Now, Kelly Loeffler was appointed to the Senate because of Senator Johnny, Johnny Isaacson's illness and death. Um, she has a certain weakness because, um, in fact, the White House, sort of the pro-Trump, um, faction within Georgia, wanted somebody else, Doug Collins, to be the person appointed to, the, to, to that Senate seat. Um, Governor Brian Kemp, interestingly, a very Trumpy, you know, very pro-Trump character himself, but he had his own agenda, so he appointed his friend Kelly Loeffler, who is a very wealthy um, conservative um, woman you know, and, and an activist, um, but, again, didn't have this kind of grassroots support. So that became sort of a jungle primary, sort of where, and uh, where Collins actually opposed her. Um, Warnock finished first, albeit with under 40% of the vote. So now it's just Warnock versus Loeffler. Now, Warnock um, is interesting because he has, on one hand, a truly radical figure, um, and again, with stands over the years that sort of put him very much on the far left of the American political spectrum. But he also has, um, you know, an interesting advantage, especially in 2020, the year of Black Lives Matter, the year of critical race theory becoming uh, orthodoxy. Um, And that he is, also he is the pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, which is the pulpit that one that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King once held, yes. um, that's no small thing. That's a lot of prestige. Yes. That, that that's that's the ultimate bully pulpit, and that gives him a certain credibility throughout yes. um, the country and the liberal world. He, he's also a very powerful speaker. He's charismatic. Um, Kelly Loeffler, not so charismatic, um, and so when you ask, so who are the people backing Warnock and why are they sort of uh, circling the wagons around him? Well, uh, and why are Jewish Democrats in particular doing that? Right. Well, because partisanship is everything. You know, we live in a moment in our political history, which is more partisan than any, in any, you know, in, in living memory, maybe ever, um, and the um, prize, which is within the grasp of the Democrats, is so great that Democrats and, you know, to be fair, Republicans, if they're in their, you know, in the same position, Republicans aren't, you know, checking too closely under the hood of David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler. They're just, you know, qualified Republicans who <laughs> will vote the right way. Um, Democrats are not, don't care who Raphael Warnock is, or was, or might be. He's a Democratic vote to control the Senate. And, um, you know, stopping the Republicans is all they care about. Um, And and thus, you have hundreds of rabbis who are, you know, themselves very liberal, very radical, Mm -hmm. rallying around him. Uh, Many of them agree with his former statements about Israel, never mind his current statements, where he says he's now, you know, devoted to Israel, opposes BDS, um, you know, loves Israel. All of a sudden he's, you know, a, a, a um, Zionist. Um, you know, uh, I think a lot of the people supporting don't really care about him doing that. Um, one group that does care is the Democratic majority for Israel, which is a centrist, uh, group, um, led by veteran, um, uh, Democratic pollster and, 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 Advisor Mark Melman, which was created last year um, basically to head off to deal with a very real problem the drift of the Democratic Party away from a pro Israel stance. Um, Democrats right now are deeply divided on Israel, with um, the radical and grassroots activist wing of the party um, being very much um, opposed to Israel, critical of Israel. Um, supporting BDS, uh, people like uh, AOC, Rep- Representative Alexandria Cortez, ocasio Cortez, the the Squad, um, Omar, you know Ilhan Omar, Rashida um, BDS, and and you know even anti-Semitic. Um, so, Democratic majority for Israel, you know, intended, you know, was intended to stop that wing of the party from taking over, and to a certain extent, they succeeded. Um, during the presidential primaries, or they believe they succeeded, um, because they wanted to stop Bernie Sanders or someone, one of the other more left-wing candidates from winning. Um, they doubled down and did everything they could to elect, um, to nominate and then elect Joe Biden. And they fished their wish on that, that that, that, that worked out for them. And, um, but uh, right now they're not being too picky about what it means to be pro-Israel, because again, in the end, the operative word in their title is Democrat. Right. You know, and the for Israel part is, well, you know, they're prepared to be lenient. And, you know, again, I want to be fair. Uh, Republicans, if if there were a Republican candidate who had said problematic things, but then saw the light, I guess a lot of Republicans would say, okay. At least some would. Um and indeed, that's the case with some of the more radical Republicans in Georgia, Sharon Taylor Green with QAnon, which who is somehow is a supporter of the QAnon conspiracy theory. She's now said she'll behave and she has renounced it. But Democrats don't forgive her for that. But they forgive Raphael Warnock for all of his um, anti-Israel and really radical views. Um, the Democrat, Jewish Democrats, are all in to win the Senate for their party. And they're prepared to swallow a great deal um, from Warnock um, and the rest of, you know, their party in order to accomplish that.
1: Jonathan, just a few points. You know, uh, for the last four years, Jewish Democrats chastised Jewish Republicans for supporting Trump. And even if we countered with everything he's done for Israel, they would come back with, but look at his character. And they would use Donald Trump to uh, justify why they were voting Democrat. Well, what we see in the Senate races, that was nonsense because Donald Trump is no longer on the ballot. Uh, number two, with regards to Mark Melman, I've tried to reach out to him, again, albeit through Facebook, so I don't know how, uh, how often he checks his messages, but I want to ask him, um, if you're so convinced that he's pro-Israel now, why didn't you endorse him um, in his initial run? Because as far as I could see, the endorsement just came now for the runoff. And lastly, while Jewish Democrats are saying that Raphael Warnock has now seen the light, I'm sure you've read that uh, Linda Sarsour and the squad are headed down to Georgia to help him. So just as Democrats said about Donald Trump, he may not be a Nazi, but they think he's one of them. Right here, while Warnock is trying his damnedest to prove that he's no longer the Raphael Warnock of the past, you've got the most radical anti-Israel activists in America today rallying to Georgia to support him. So, yeah... I mean, this certainly contradicts every moral fiber that they were campaigning on. And, again, I know politics is a dirty business, and you're right. I think Republicans would turn the other way. Um, I know that I, I've had to struggle myself. What happens if? Now, I knew that with someone like Ron Paul, for example, had he won, though I never thought that he would actually win, I don't know if I would have voted for the Republican uh, you know, uh, president had he been our nominee. But there is a line, though, that people will cross when it is their guy. But in the case of Warnock, he is so anti-Israel. I mean, his comments have been so, so bad, not
0: even borderline. Well, you know, it's interesting, Mark, Melman was just complaining to me yesterday. Was it yesterday or the day before? He has no trouble reaching out to me uh, to complain about JNS reporting about the event that uh, CARE the radical Muslim group and uh, Linda Sarsour and um, Omar and Tlaib supporting Warnock. And he said it was totally bogus for JNS to report this because Raphael Warnock is not responsible for them. It's like accusing, you know, Donald Trump of being responsible for David Duke supporting him. Of course, David Duke doesn't support Donald Trump, but you get the picture. Um, Listen, um, they did not endorse, you know, DMFI has been very selective with its endorsements. um, uh, Really, uh, to date, trying to concentrate on people that were reliably pro-Israel. I mean, I'm I'm not, you know, knocking uh, them, but it was interesting that they came down. You know, there was pressure on them clearly to fall in line and to give their certificate, you know, their Kashrut certificate to to Warnock because they have some standing to do so. you know, they, they stuck their neck out, really attacking, uh, personally, you know, um, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, during the primary campaign. And, you know, because they rightly viewed him as not good for Israel. Um, but in this case, you know, uh, blood's thicker than water. Um, and that's the way it works. Um, politics isn't being bad. Um They are playing for keeps in this race. Everything is on the line. And uh, both parties, um, each of them with a, you know, each with two somewhat flawed candidates vying against each other, and they're going all in to to prop them up. And honestly, uh, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. This, these are going to be very close. And, you know, it's not like the Jews dominate the vote in Georgia. I don't know how many pro-Israel votes are up for grabs in Georgia. I suspect there might be more evangelical pro-Israel votes up for grabs. Uh, the Jewish votes, although there is not an, you know, there is an, not an inconsiderable, you know, there is a strong Jewish community in the Atlanta area. Um, but, um, you know, that's, it's all going to count. And it makes a difference. And whether people are willing to trust the new Raphael Warnock, the pro-Israel Raphael Warnock, as opposed to the one that was back in Jeremiah, right, calling Jesus about, you know, a Palestinian and, you know, treating Israel as if it was an apartheid state. Um, I think it's fair to say that was the true Raphael Warnock. Um, but and when it comes down to it, it's just whether the D or the R is after your name that's going to determine most of the votes. That's the way our political culture is set up now. We're locked in this political tribal culture war in which, you know, no one... Is willing to sort of cross the line and to say criticize their own side in any really honest way.
2: Um, on a slightly a uh, slightly different topic, um, but along the same lines that we have been discussing, I read your article yesterday in JNS where you cautioned that anti-Zionism is really anti-Semitism. In that same article, you wrote about a Jewish Voice for Peace in their online panel that was held this week about the dismantling anti-Semitism. It was contradictory, and um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, especially about uh, Beinart's statement, do they sound like people who hate Jews? In other words, people who carry on for human rights cannot be Jew haters, even though they don't want a Jewish state. Jonathan? Yeah,
0: it's an interesting thing. This was a pat- this- you know, the chutzpah of, of Jewish voice. For
2: peace. I, I wanted to say chutzpah, but I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> That's to, what I really to, wanted to your say. To panel
0: on, on anti-Semitism by inviting anti-Semites to speak for it and for Jews to be fronting for them. It is, it's really despicable. And to be honest, you know, um, I, I, I really think Rashid Tlaib is being tainted by being associated with Jewish voices for peace because Jewish voice for peace is itself guilty of anti-Semitism. Um, and that's not too strong a word, even though these are Jews. These are, as Peter Beiner says, progressive Jews, Jews who know how to speak to other American liberal Jews. And, you know, they talk the talk of universalism and tikkun olam and the whole bit. Right.
2: Um, right.
0: But well, that's what makes us so dangerous. Speech, I mean, I, I can't repeat it often enough, has... Propagated this this idea that Jews who help American first responders go for training in Israel, of course, nobody's being tra- going anywhere this year, but in the pandemic, but you know that American first responders were sent to Israel for training um, where they could really learn a lot about how Israel does things in terms of helping people and you know dealing with emergencies that this was somehow connected to training American uh, police to kill African-Americans in the streets of America's cities. This is not, and, and that Jews who support this are responsible, therefore. This is nothing less than a blood libel. And this is being promoted by, by a group that has Jewish in the name. And um, what's really toxic about this is that we have, um, you know, Peter Beinart just a few years ago was touting himself as the sort of the avatar of liberal Zionism. Now, there, there's a long and honorable history of liberal Zionism, and I have nothing against liberal Zionists. We may, may disagree on some issues, but if you're for Israel, you know, fine. We're, we're within the family. Um, but Beinart, um, who's an ignorant, foolish person, um, albeit a very successful self-promoter, uh, got to give him credit for that, uh, who now you know, operates from the perch of the New York Times and CNN, no small accomplishment for anybody, um he he is now um since since israel didn 't listen to his pleas to change everything and to ignore what was in its interests and uh, its beliefs, he has now decided that there doesn't need to be an israel he's now opposed to the existence of Israel as a Jewish state he wants a binational state of Palestine where, where Jews would have no rights of sovereignty or self defense and be at the mercy of of, uh, of uh, the Arabs, um, wiping out, you know, the one, you know, denying to the Jews that which you wouldn't deny to anyone else. But to me, you know, as, as, the, as the lawyers would say, the term of art for discrimination against Jews, and that is what we're talking about, discrimination, is anti-Semitism. And that's why anti-Zionism, you know, theoretically, you can make some sort of intellectual argument that anti-Zionism is separate from anti-Semitism. But in practice, it's the same thing. And um, it is extremely dangerous when Jews front for, an, for, for, for anti-Semitism. Um, there is, unfortunately, a long historical tradition of that throughout the ages. But in, in our current day, it's these Jews who, in groups like Jewish Voice for Peace and If Not Now, who are serving to legitimize hatred against Jews. And this can't be called out. This can't be condemned strongly enough.
1: Is there a time, do you think, that Jews on the right, I don't know where it's going to come from, are going to call out groups like Jewish Voice for Peace, if not now, and Peter Beinart, as hate groups? You know, I will tell you that I, myself, when I post on Facebook, which is a lot, it, it hurts me and it pains me to call out Jewish leftists because they're still Jewish, and I hate to be the one to make other Jews look bad. But when I see that their activism is just so radical and so dangerous, and, if you, and I'm rarely... Uh, even on Twitter, Ariel, what's I think, Ariel Gold from uh, uh Pink, uh, Coat pink. pink. I mean, the most ugliest, sinful thing you could ever imagine. And to me, it's no longer about civil disagreements. We're all Jewish. But uh, to me, these are people that need to be ostracized. Uh, being called out may not even be enough, but I would love to see them literally ostracized and denounced as a hate group. To me, they're no better than, the, than groups like CARE, even though they have different standing, but they are anti-Semitic active groups. They are the ones that help the Palestinians on college campuses. They are the ones that support and, and kosherize, as you've called it, uh, anti-Semitism. Why don't they belong and you know, to be
0: designated as such? Well, I, I don't fundamentally disagree with you. I think it's very clear. I, you know, I, in theory, I believe in a big tent, a big Jewish tent, We're a small people. We need to be able to listen to each other and to find common ground where we can. But if you are opposed to the existence of Israel, if you are, as I say, fronting for anti-Semites, then you're outside the bonds. You 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 put yourself outside the tent. Um, And um, it's very you know I think it's very important to say that a Jewish community whose you know most important value is inclusion. The idea of including everyone, including, you know, that, that was Peter Beinart, you know, back when he was pretending to be a Zionist, he would say, we have to include anti-Zionists in the Jewish tent uh, because they're Jews too. Well, uh, you know, sure, uh, they can call themselves whatever they want. They can be whatever they want. It's a free country. I'm not for banning anybody. But within the confines of the Jewish community, the organized Jewish community, um, I think um, they don't have a place at the table for at Jewish community relations councils or within the councils of our, you know, of, of anything within, within our, our communities. I think they should be called out for what they're doing, which is supporting hate, uh, undermining not merely Jewish unity, but Jewish existence and Jewish security. Um, this, this is deeply serious. And I think, you know, I, I think a lot of Jews, a lot of well-meaning Jews, um, centrist liberals, as well as some conservatives, tend to underestimate the importance of, of groups like Jewish Voice for Peace and anti Zionists. They're small, they have no influence. I say you're wrong. They're stealing the thunder on the left from groups like J Street, which still claim to be Zionist, you know, pro Israel, pro peace. Not always in, in practice, but okay. But they're losing out increasingly uh, to anti Zionist groups because they they really speak to the radicalism that some people on the hard left want. And um, I, I think what I tried to uh, point out in the column that uh, Bela mentioned is that, you know, there are two factors here. Um, these groups speak the language of the left in a very convincing way. Um, and um, that that gives them, you know, a leg up. Secondly, all the craziness that exists on college campuses, and that's where BDS, that's where groups like Jewish Voice for Peace are, are strongest, um, that, that has a way of migrating to the rest of the country, the rest of the culture. We, we saw with critical race theory, cancel culture. Um, it started on college campuses and everyone dismissed it. It's just some craziness that goes on in academia. Who cares what goes on in academia? It's meaningless. Well, this year we saw what happened. Cancel culture is now mainstream. It now operates the media, um, really dominates Twitter, dominates everything in our culture. Um, BDS has that same potential and groups, these Jewish, you know, it's not too strong to say Jewish hate groups, Um Will be uh, kind of the caboose being dragged along with uh, with that same faction, and it's something we need to recognize, call out, and um, not be shy about it.
2: Uh, we're running out of time, um, Jonathan. You're doing wonderful and vital work by bringing awareness to this important issue, and we so need that. But what can the rest of society do in terms of being proactive against those who are against? The very foundation we believe in.
0: Well, <laughs> that's a big question. I, you know, I think you know you have to speak out. You have to tell the truth. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Um, uh, the you know the, those who promote um, these really hateful ideologies, um, cancel culture, they they win because everybody else is silent because they get away with it because no people are afraid to stand up or don't have the will or the interest to stand up. Um, the passivity, um, you know, they, they win because other people who would otherwise you know, uh, speak up for common sense, speak up for American values, speak up for democracy, speak out for truly liberal values. You know, they, they just concede the, concede the fight because it takes a lot of effort. It's hard, you get yelled at you know, on social media. You, you run the risk of being canceled yourself. But if we don't all speak up, speak out loudly, clearly, uh, with clarity and without the sort of, you know, extreme rhetoric, you know, be try to persuade people, not try to kill them. Um, that's the way to answer this. Um, if enough people do it, I have great faith in, in, this, in the American Republic. I have great faith in the American people's common sense that will ultimately win out. But if enough people are silent, the radicals do win.
2: Thank you, Jonathan, for agreeing to be on our show and for your excellent commentaries. We thank our listening audience for joining us on The Definitive Wrap. And on behalf of Alan and myself, thank you. Thank you for
0: having me on. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.